So good, um, sitting in the front and hearing you sing. And today, um, our, uh, the message is entitled to sing, and we want you to sing, and uh, why we ought to, as part of a resolution of how we're going to live, how important that is. You know, the, um, there's a story of a young lady named Stacy Horn. Stacy Horn, at the age of 26, um, goes through a grueling uh, divorce that just uh, had depressed her and um, really saddened her life. And she was looking for something that would cheer her up, and people were giving her advice. And so she tried different things. She picked up and learned the banjo. She um, tried dancing and took a hip-hop dancing class. Um, and she did other things as well. She... Um, uh, tried kayaking with some friends. and But the last thing that she did was she started singing. And she joined a choir at the Chorale Society of Grace Church in New York. So they would gather and they would sing songs once a week. And she joined this group. And she writes a song called Imperfect Harmony. And she talks about the power of singing and she writes this book 30 years after when she was 26 and enduring that divorce. And so as a lady in her 50s, she writes this book about the power and the effect of singing and um, how it changed her. And she puts together her personal thoughts. And she also writes from uh, just scientific research that's been done on the benefits of singing. And some of the things that she talks about is uh, that singing relieves stress. So the cortisol level in a person will go down after they sing together in a group and their anxiety would go down. And um, she quotes Dr. Julian Johnson, who says that even for older people, you know that they did a five-year study and for older people, um, they would sing weekly versus those who wouldn't and those who would sing regularly were healthier after five years. And uh, for some of you, you're seeing this and already you're like, oh, you know, I'm not a singer. Um, I, I, it's tough to sing. I can't sing like these people up here, you know, and I don't know if I could really be the one singing. One of the things, and, and because, you know, you guys and us, I mean, we, we kind of join in that group. Um, this is a quote I wanted to share from what she says. She says, it turns out you don't even have to be a good singer to reap the reward. So there's good news for a lot of us, right, who aren't like the people up here singing. Um, and there was a study done that singing can produce satisfying and therapeutic sensations even when, and I love this, even when the sound produced by the vocal instrument is of mediocre quality. This is a fancy word of saying, even if you suck at singing, right? Like, this is good. Like, even if you sound bad, if you sing together for the person next to you, there's some benefit. So uh, this gives us now, wow, this is good reason for us to sing. It's good for us. You see this a little bit. I mean, we get this in the church. We sing together weekly. But you see this uh, a little bit out there. You see it in the uh, baseball games, right? And people will sing after the seventh inning stretch, and they will sing. And you sing with uh, 40, 50, 60,000 people. And you realize, wow, there's something that makes me feel good about singing together, right? And people sing. And, you know, the Dodgers, at the, after the eighth inning, in the Dodgers, we sing God Bless America. It's kind of a tradition, right? Whereas, like, the Red Sox sing... Sweet Caroline. So you know, that's why the Dodgers are that much better, right? They sing about God versus then um, uh, Sweet Caroline, right? And so, 
Anyways, uh, uh, but they sing and people sing. Um, you see this today and people will go to concerts and want to sing. And, and the whole irony of that is you go to pay money to hear the professional sing, but you can't help but to sing along and you want to sing along, right? Um, but here, as the people of God, we experience this benefit regularly. We sing together. Youth students, you gather and you sing, right? And the reason we do this is we see this pattern in the passage that we read, that the word of God is now dwelling in us richly, and then we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so what we're going to look today is look at, um, why should I sing? Why are we called to sing? And then um, how we ought to sing, right? The first part of why is we were created to sing. All of us as human beings made in the image of God, you were created to sing. Um, you, you look at just our human nature. You know, a newborn baby is often soothed and comforted by the singing of mom or dad. Right? There's some lullaby will comfort them and put them to sleep. And there's something about that. A couple, a young couple in love can't help but to express their love in song. And so the love songs are coming out every week. And someone is writing about their love for another and they sing to each other. This is how we're created. And you look at God. It's interesting. Uh, Zephaniah 3.17 talks about the Lord your God is in your midst, the mighty one who will save you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. So if God is singing in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ after the Passover or the institution of the Lord's Supper in Matthew uh, 26.30, he sings a hymn together. Um, not a hymn like from a book that we're used to because that came obviously after. Uh, but he sings a hymn and they sing about God and they sing about the grace of God. So if our God sings and we're created in the image of God, we sing. That's what we do. And whether you are classically trained and you sound good or whether you are just someone who likes to sing and go along, we are all made that way. We catch ourselves at times uh, memorizing songs from years ago where we can't memorize anything for a test, but songs we somehow memorize. And uh, we're called to sing. The second reason um, that why we should sing is we're commanded to sing. In the text that we just read, we're commanded, let the word, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. So we're commanded to. So the reason why we have songs and we have our band that leads us is not so much it's like an opener for the sermon. It's not so that you would just come and enjoy listening to Yvette and just the other singers and the musicians and say, wow, that was nice to listen to. It was so that we could sing. Okay, so we gather so we could sing together. And it's interesting, just a, a little note here, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. It's almost like Paul's covering all the bases, all the different types of songs there are. One commentator talks about how Psalms is referring to songs that quote the Bible, uh, particularly the book of Psalms, possibly. The second thing he says is hymns. Um, one of the commentators says the hymns could be songs that are accompanied by string instruments. And spiritual songs. I mean, this is the general term. Any song that is somewhat spiritual. And so what we see is there's a kind of a, I think what Paul is saying, there's a variety of songs you could sing. 
whether it is with an organ and a book and a hymnal as some of us might be used to, or whether we sing the songs we sing here today. So he gives us some freedom to sing these songs. And he says, I created you to sing. You're made in my image. You're supposed to sing. And I command you to sing. You are commanded to sing. Now, um, how are we to do that? Um, how are we, what is involved in our singing? What, what's good worship really uh, in a biblical perspective? And we look at this. And first of all, worship involves singing together. It involves others. The reason we gather in a corporate setting and we sing together uh, is because that's what is prescribed here. We're told to sing together in this way. Look at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. You're called into one body. So as one body, you are singing together. Uh, so this is not about your, just your personal worship time. You know, you might say, boy, I like singing on my own. I listen to my favorite praise song and I sing in the car or I sing when I walk. Whenever it is, that's great. But there is something about worship. We are called to sing together. Um, and it is something that moves us as we sing. You know, it's interesting because the lady Stacy Horn in her book talks about one of the effects um, they did a study, and one of the effects of singing together is that you start singing together, and they say a group, eventually their heartbeat will now be the same. It will beat at the same pace as you sing together. And so, so there's something about us coming together as one body, and we are singing together, right? And what that does for us, we don't think of singing as a spiritual discipline. You know, some of us think of spiritual discipline as, oh, fasting and meditating or praying or those things. Spiritual discipline, one of them is our worship to God, our singing. You know, um, a couple of authors I want to quote, Donald Whitney in his book on spiritual disciplines. He says, there's an element of worship and Christianity that cannot be experienced in private worship or by watching worship. There are some graces and blessings that God gives only in the meeting together with other believers. So this is not something to be a spectator. Uh, coming to church is not just to watch. It's not just to check out. But it's something we participate in together, right? And this is a discipline that we have. Richard Foster writes in his uh, very famous book on the celebration of disciplines. And he uses an illustration of us coming together as fresh coals that are heaped unto an existing fire. And the coals just will now light up and catch fire. And he says, together, when you put these coals all together, it becomes hotter. They light each other up in fire. You know, if you're going to have a barbecue and you put the coals together, that's how you get the heat. Coals that are separated will just go out. So we are called uh, to sing together in this manner. Um, and thirdly, worship involves thankfulness. Now, we're not just singing just to sound good, but we're singing um, as a reaction to something. It's interesting, the Bible here in the text that we read talks about thankfulness twice. And so what we see here is, I am thankful 
I sing out of gratitude. The, grati- the, the singing also now produces thankfulness. You see almost the pattern in verse 15, latter, the last part of it. It says, and be thankful. Okay? So here's the top. Be thankful. That's part one. And then verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. So, um, my gratitude leads me to sing to God. My singing of who God is and what he has done produces gratitude. And so you see the cycle that's happening, right? You see this. So I'm thankful to God. And you know, gratitude or thankfulness is something that must be expressed. You cannot have a thankful heart and that's it. You can't say, boy, that was nice of him to buy me lunch and that's it. You have to express this. And this is what we do. This is what people do. We go to someone and we say, thank you. We write a note. Thank you for this gift. Thank you for taking time to pray for me. Thank you. And we say thank you to someone. But also, that as we express it, and what it's saying here is it produces now more thankfulness. And I think there's a pattern here. You think about heaven. Um, Heaven, we see the story, we see a picture in the book of Isaiah, book of Revelation. The angels are worshiping. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? And they're worshiping Christ. And it's happening in eternity. You say, boy, they're just singing and singing and singing. What what are they doing? So they're out of gratitude and out of awe, they worship God. Their worship, as they're worshiping God, produces this emotion of gratitude as they think about what God has done. And then, as they think about that, they can't help but to now worship God. And so I think this is the pattern we are learning to do here. As we hear the word of God, the preaching of the word, we hear, oh, this is who God is. This is why I ought to be grateful. This is what God has done for me. My reaction is I want to worship. And as we worship and we sing about who God is and what he's done for me and how he has kept me and watched over me, we sing some wonderful lyrics. As we sing that, it produces now gratitude. And out of gratitude, we now sing back to him. You know, it is John Piper who says that worship is an inward feeling and an outward action that reflects the worth of God. It's a feeling, but it's more than that. It's an outward action that reflects the worth of God. I have to express it. I have to live it. So worship is not just something that moves me in my heart and that's it, but it's a reaction to it. I speak to him in this way. You know, in the psalmist, you could read so much in the psalmist, but one of the psalms in 107, 22, and let them offer thanksgiving, uh, sacrifices of thanksgiving, and tell of his deeds in songs of joy, right? So how do I offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving? Do I bring an animal? Do I slaughter a, a goat? Do I, how do I, he says, buy, and then to tell of his deeds in songs of thanksgiving, that my songs... Um, Out of thanksgiving, I ought to have a reaction. Thirdly, worship. How do we worship? Uh, Worship, singing, uh, involves the heart and the mind. It involves all of us. It just can't be the mind, and it just can't be the heart. Sometimes, if we like music, if you're a person who likes music, it's all about sometimes the heart. 
the music, the voice, the, that one part of it. And we just, we are enamored with the music or the heart. But it also has to be the head. It has to be the intellect. What am I saying? What am I singing? What am I singing to God? It has to involve all of this. So it tells us in verse 16, right? You got the word of God, word of Christ dwelling you richly, and the latter part with thanksgiving in your hearts. Your hearts. Your hearts is the, is the seat of your will. It's, it's the depth of who you are. So as you hear the gospel, as you go to Bible study, and you're learning about God, and then the reaction comes from the heart. True worship involves all of that. You know, uh, it is easy um, for some of us, uh, maybe even some of the guys in male culture, right? That uh, I don't show emotion. I'm just cool. I don't. I don't show it. I don't say it. And I just keep it to myself. Um, we have to express this. We have to learn to express this. And what is it in my heart? You know, uh, Jonathan Edwards, in uh, the religious affections that he writes, he talks about singing, the purpose of singing. And I just want to share a quote with you. The duty of singing praises to God seems to be appointed wholly to excite and express religious affections. And he says, no other reason can be assigned why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose and do it with music, but only that such is our nature and frame that these things have a tendency to move our affections. Why should we play music? And why should we write songs? And why should, as the psalmist says, we should write and sing a new song? Why should we do this? Because we are expressing our affections to God. It moves us. And lastly, we have to understand as we sing. Fourthly is this, that we sing. Our singing is for God, not for us. We cannot, and we have to be very careful of becoming consumers of worship. He's supposed to consume our worship. We're supposed to provide the worship. But it's easy for us to come and say, oh, oh man, they sing that song. Oh, yeah, I liked it. I like this church. Oh, yeah, it was so good. You know, oh, they, you know what? Boy, that, they didn't sing the song right. I'm not too happy. It's, you know, it, it becomes the thing that we are consuming. And we have to be very careful, even in listening to worship music, that it's not just so much something to consume and console me. Of course, it's comforting. It's not bad to listen to Christian music, I'm saying. But the purpose isn't for me. It's for me to use that instrument to worship God. It's for God. So you come, and you're singing, and you're here today, and you're saying, oh, I hope I learn something new, or I hope I get blessed. I hope they sing my song. It's not for you, right? It's for the Lord, right? I want you to tap someone next to you and tell them, it's not for you. Go ahead and do that, all right? You have my permission to do that. One, two, three, say, it's not for you, okay? Huh. Ah, some people are really excited to do that, right? I, won't, I was like, not for you, right? It's, it's not for us. It's for the Lord. So we come here, and we're saying, I, I need to sing this for the Lord. Um, 
It says here at the end of verse 16, right? With thankfulness in your hearts to God. Imagine if it, that the last two words weren't in that verse. So you should sing with one another. Psalms, spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your heart, period. We say, and some of us will say, that's me, actually. I just sing because it makes me feel good. I'm like that lady who sings in the chorus because it makes her feel good. It's therapeutic. But it's not just for me. It's ultimately, it's to God. We sing to him. Why we sing. Our songs magnify the love we have. We are able to now express our love that we have for God, and it magnifies it in our song. Right? I love people in love. They'll write songs for each other, and they'll write and sing to each other. It magnifies the love that we have. You know, it's interesting. Moses led a group of people for 40 years in the wilderness. From age 40 to 80, you know, he was... Um, uh, supposed to go into the promised land. He, he wanders for 40 years. And as he wanders for 40 years at the end, before he goes into the promised land, he does something. They're about to enter. But Moses is now at his old age, and he is going to um, uh, pass away. He has, he has appointed his successor in Joshua. And this old man now, what does he do? He gathers the people. In Deuteronomy uh, 31 and 32, he teaches them a song. He says, I have a song, and he teaches them a song. And so the millions of these Israelites are now learning a song because why? The song is something they remember. The song is going to affect who they are. It's going to produce gratitude to God because they're going to go into the promised land and they're going to have the land of flowing milk and honey. And they're going to have so much and they're going to have a home and they're going to be tempted to forget and to focus on the provisions, not the provider. And he teaches them a song. And that's why we come and we sing. The songs help us to remember what is important. That he is the one who is worth singing to, singing about. You know, I want to quote just a, a passage from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Solomon talks about the things under the sun. That phrase is very important. All the things under the sun. Had all wisdom, all the money, and he says, I'm going to live for myself in all this pleasure. And he describes the life that he uh, attempted. And he said this. He's talking to himself. He says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. And he says in verse 4, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in, is in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both male and women, uh, men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. 
But whatever my eyes and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Listen carefully here. He says in verse 11, Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. He says he went, denied his eyes nothing, his body, whatever pleasure he had, he had it. And then he says at the end of it all, this was a chasing after the wind. Can you chase after wind? It's a, it's a phrase, it's a saying that means it's a waste of time. It's, a, it's meaningless. And he says, anything that is under the sun, if you praise and look for your joy in that, you will have nothing. But we have to now look to the one who is above the sun, the maker of the sun, the maker of heaven and earth. And when we look to him and we find our delight ultimately in him, there is the one who is worthy of our singing. There is the one who is worthy of this. So, as we think about our resolutions, all right, what are we resolved to do? I want to challenge us that you be resolved to sing to God. You take your singing to God seriously. And somebody's saying, oh, wow, you know, I, I didn't think that, that this would be, um, you know, such a, a serious command. It is. It affects our worship, and I want to challenge you to sing to him. It is in Psalm 104, verse 33. And I hope that this would be your life verse, if we could say, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I pray that you will sing. Teenagers, you will sing. Uh, people in your 20s, 30s, adults, moms, dads, that you will sing. Like Moses, till you are 120, you will sing. And you will teach the next generation to sing. It is uh, John Newton. In um, 1761, he had gathered a selection of hymns and he gives instructions on how to sing, how the church should sing. And this is in 1761. And I quote him, he says, Sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep, but lift up your voice with strength. What a challenge that is. Come to church ready to sing. If you don't know the songs, go and learn the songs. Uh, write it down. Go look it up on YouTube and sing. Um, prepare yourself to sing. Go, like, you know, brush your teeth before you come to church. Be ready to sing. Practice singing. Don't warm up here, but warm up before and be ready to sing and worship God. And we will here get a taste of what heaven is like as we glorify him. We learn of who he is. Our hearts are moved to gratitude. We can't help but to sing. And as we sing, we are now moved again. And we get a glimpse of what heaven is like here on earth. And so we sing with our hearts. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to sing better. We want to sing of you all of our days, as the psalmist says. Singing to you, Lord, it changes us. We are created for this. So God, help us to do that.
Help us sing with all of our hearts. Help us to direct it to you. Help that, Lord, to change us, to affect our hearts and how we live for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.